two, one. Good day, listeners. This is your host, Michael Martins, with the Martins Critical Review, broadcasting this afternoon from a sunny and chilly day in West Kelowna, British Columbia. In today's program, we explore a made-in-BC novel sustainable aquaponics operation producing both certified organic coho salmon and cannabis flower. Our guest joining us for the program today is Mr. Rudy Scheibel, founder and CEO of Habitat Life Sciences, based out of Chase, BC. Habitat is in the business of producing sustainable organic coho salmon and ultra-premium smokable cannabis flower for the legal Canadian recreation market. Habitat Life Sciences came into existence through Rudy and his co-founder Lane Key's friendship, which developed while they were playing hockey in the farm leagues on Canada's west coast. At 22 years of age, after both friends suffered career-ending injuries on the ice, they partnered up to build the Turtle Valley Bison Company, a bison ranch that focused on producing protein responsibly. During that time, they realized that the most important factor to raising animals sustainably was focusing on their environment and the ecosystem in which they reside. Over the past seven years, it has been Rudy's mission to find the most innovative ways to produce responsible and sustainable products and to continue pushing the limits of combining today's technologies with ecosystem-based growing practices. The cornerstone philosophy, which governs all activities at Habitat, is producing more by wasting less. This philosophy is at the core of Habitat's aquaponics technology, which has now uniquely positioned itself at the forefront of multiple emerging industries, inland salmon farming, closed ecosystem technology, and cannabis cultivation. Rudy, it's a pleasure to meet you. Thank you so much for your time today, and welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Excellent. So first off, Rudy, can you uh, share with the listeners what your motivation was uh, or, or is towards these sustainable initiatives? Um, and, and how did this arise? Yeah, I think you touched on it briefly with your with your, your intro there. A lot of it came from from uh, getting into agriculture in general. Uh, in my professional uh, career, my business has always been in agriculture and growing up, I was really following my dad. He was an ex-park ranger. We used to go on on uh, nature hikes all the time and uh, really introduced me into what uh, uh, into ecology and, and biology and uh, what the whole healthy ecosystem really was about. So as we got into agriculture, we really tried to bring uh, a lot of that uh, to the forefront when we started the bison operation. And so that included not just focusing on, on raising bison, but actually focusing on growing, uh, growing grass and, and developing the, the organic, the organic matter in the soils and uh, really fostering, uh, fostering, microbial life within within our soils and and uh at that same time we'd we'd started off with the medical cannabis side of uh of uh, our operation as well and uh when we decided to go with uh, towards more commercial license in that side we really wanted to take our approach of the of what we'd done in the terrestrial agriculture side of it and bring that into a more indoor environment and something that that we felt was combining the 21st century technologies with uh, the long standing technology of mother nature and uh, really try to understand that a, a lot more than, than I think agriculture has in the past. That's very interesting. And, and did you grow up uh, in the area up there in Salmon Arm or where did you, where did you grow up? I didn't. I actually was a little all over the, the place. I was born in Edmonton and uh, my mom being a, a physician, uh, we ended up down in Rochester, Minnesota actually. And, uh, and as you touched on, and as well, I ended up coming back to Canada to play junior hockey. So that was really 
really what uh, what dragged me back here with the dream of being a, an NHL hockey player. But uh, but as life had different plans for me, ended up in the uh, in regenerative agriculture and agriculture technology uh, today. Interesting, interesting. So how does an agriculture operation fit into an existing ecosystem and, and why is this such an important aspect to consider for those operations? Well, in agriculture, people have to remember is a, is a, a natural product. I mean, we're eating it, we're, we're a part of the ecosystem as well. And so when we, we take out entire ecosystems and the biodiversity that existed there to grow one crop or, or if you're lucky two, you're really changing the entire environment around you and having to bring in more chemicals, more fertilizers, uh, the ecosystem's a lot less, or the, the environment's a lot, a lot less healthy for those plants. So now you're bringing in pesticides and, and herbicides and you're really increasing the inputs that are required to, to, grow, to grow your crops. And uh, if, you, if you take a step back and look at what are all the things that a natural environment would, would produce in, in, its, in its cycle and how can you complete that, uh, that, that cycle of, of matter and, and energy, so to speak, throughout, uh, throughout the organic process, you, uh, you, you start to look at how agriculture could be more natural, uh, more uh, require less inputs, and uh, at the end of the day, have a healthier, uh, more nutritious, more delicious product, uh, food coming from it. Yeah, that's interesting. I've, I've certainly seen that in tropical locales uh, with small scale farming, subsistence farming, where there's multiple multi layers to the canopy in terms of um, the different crops that they're growing. Uh, you know, obviously the, the fruit and nut trees are at the highest point and then the, the smaller herbs and, and so forth are at the lower and then scattered throughout. You've got the livestock that are uh, grazing and feeding uh, amongst the, that entirety. It's it's uh, interesting interesting way to look at it. And certainly most modern agriculture is all about monocropping with uh, no respect for the, the ecosystem which existed there prior to that crop being established. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think it was... Uh... It was an innovation of its time, but we obviously didn't understand the greater impacts on on the environment around us. And I think as it's progressed, we've realized that we really do need those soils to be healthy to produce. And uh, and we can't just keep supplementing by increasing the amount of chemical fertilizers that we're putting in there. Eventually, we're gonna we're gonna run out of that that uh, that soil. So. Uh, yeah, I think that inevitably we have to go back to 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 farming the environment, and uh, and a big part of that is is uh, integrating animals back into plant cultivation and and closing that that loop. Yeah, interesting. Uh, so there's more and more talk today about regenerative agriculture. Uh, how would you define this practice, and, and why do you feel it's important? I think the regenerative agriculture, I mean, by in its in its name, it's about how are you building up the the uh, in in most cases the soils around you and the biodiversity around and putting back what what we take or try to regenerate as much as possible of what we take so that that uh, it's a, a net zero outcome or as close to it as in in terms of in terms of production uh, for us that really holds true from our our operation from the the bison side of things and then as we're going into the the indoor environment with which we created that habitat which is an aquaponic system so it's about growing plants uh, and organic 
in, in our case, Coho Salmon, and really utilizing the waste that's coming from, from that system and, uh, and turning, repurposing that into the, the fertilizer and the microbial life in, the, in a living water in that scenario. And, uh, and really the, the focus of habitat is to be able to produce sustainably in a controlled environment with a much smaller footprint than what you would require on a terrestrial farm so that we can actually focus on uh, rebuilding the and taking the pressures off of our our outdoor ecosystems. So it's a little bit of a, a step back approach to what we were doing with our, our farm, our ranch, so to speak. And, uh, and really kind of the two together is what we see the future of agriculture being that we can focus on rebuilding more of our outdoor environments while uh, producing a lot more in a controlled environment. For example, in our salmon production at a thousand square feet, we're producing more protein there on an annual basis than we are on our 600 acres of, of uh, sustainable bison ranching. Wow. So just in terms of how much protein we can produce when we're looking at, at a sustainable protein source, it has a much greater impact, but we can't keep in, intensively farming the lands. Like, so we, would, we wouldn't want to do that type of, of biomass production of, of meat uh, outside for with our with our bison operation so we're able to scale that back focus on our bison being a lot more of a local uh a more of a local meat meat source and, and farm source and show what it what a, a regenerative farm looks like from the outside perspective and then uh, what it looks like from an indoor perspective with the aquaponics and, and so ju just to um go through that a little bit further is that a is the the difference between those two productive capacities? Is that a a factor of the growth rate of the bison versus the salmon, or is it simply because your uh, your environment for the salmon is so optimized that 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 that's what is generating the the growth or the increase in protein volume? Well, a little bit of of both. Uh, salmon, uh, co salmon specifically, usually have a four year life cycle uh, for for reproduction, what we're, by moving them indoors and controlling that environment, we're able to take them from egg to a fully harvest uh, three and a half kg salmon in 15 months. Uh, but additionally, salmon are a much better uh, feed conversion rate than what a bison would have. And, and even moving bison indoors wouldn't allow you to do that, nor would they be happy. Uh, where in, in creating an, an endless swimming pool and all you can eat uh, buffet for the salmon, they're, they're incredibly happy. And and uh, throughout their, their life cycle. And then obviously towards the end of their life cycle, uh, we take them right before spawning. So the meat quality and the, the flavor of the meat is, is, or the salmon is, is where we want it and, and competes with that of wild salmon. Outstanding. Uh, and so how, how have you applied these regenerative principles uh, that we've been discussing to your aquaculture operation? Well, we're recirculating 99.7% of our water. Our goal is to get that to 100%, but, uh, but we feel that's pretty dang good. Uh, additionally, we're capturing the carbon that's produced. So when we're breaking down the, the molecules and any of the CO2 that, that the fish respire, we're collecting that and putting that into our plant system so that the plants are able to absorb that CO2 as that's a main ingredients in photosynthesis so we're instead of instead of discharging those emissions that are normal in a protein production we're actually utilizing those and then at the same rate we have uh the the other the other elements that are 
in that system, like nitrogen and phosphorus, uh, potassium, the different micronutrients are all are all dissolved in the water as we treat that, and then that becomes the nutrient source for our plants. And all our plants are actually growing directly into uh, the water that's been that's gone through our mineralization system from from the the fish side. So, um, and then the the sorry, the, the 03 percent water that you need to. I guess add in is that uh, transpirational loss, evaporation loss, or or where is that loss uh, occurring right now? Correct. That uh, that comes through the what the plants are drinking. So as the plants drink water, more water is taken from the fish system and and transferred into into the plant room. And so as they're drinking that, that ends up in the air. And and uh, as I mentioned, our goal is to get to a hundred percent or as close to hundred percent as possible. Some leaves in in the actual fish, some leaves in evaporation from the tanks, uh, and some leaves, there's still a moisture, residual moisture in the plant matter that, that, uh, that leaves. But for the most part, that transpiration will be able to, to recollect and uh, start adding that back into to our fish system as well, which is one of the areas that we're focusing, focusing on doing. That's interesting. And so the, the, what is the importance then of, of this recirculating system between the aquaculture and the aquaponics um, and, and why does that matter? Well, a big part of that is in, in moving it inland. Uh, you're you're uh, you're able to uh, produce salmon, um, obviously in in fresh water. So you don't want to be discharging uh, excessive amounts of water when you're when you're scaling up, because then that tends to uh, be pollution, which uh, we're obviously all concerned about. And so by adding it into a recirculating system, we're able to control that. Uh, treat that and uh and in our scenario we're able to feed that to to plants and instead of that being a pollution waste stream that's actually a benefit to us and and uh and then we're able to essentially sell that that waste that's coming from the the fish side as cannabis that's uh, the basic building blocks to the cannabis that's going out excellent and obviously you could be utilizing other crops uh, other than cannabis. Cannabis clearly obviously has the greatest market value uh, per square foot. Correct. Yeah. If you can, uh, we've, we've always viewed it that if we can grow cannabis in the system, we can grow anything. Um, yeah. It's a very finicky, finicky plant and takes a, takes a, a lot of craft to do it. So we've been refining our system to be able to, to uh, grow really high quality cannabis. And with that, we're going to be able to, to implement a variety of different crops moving forward, food crops. And could you run your um, food crop side outside, uh, like in sunlight, or, is it, or do you have to have the level of containment for sort of pathogens and so forth that you need to be inside? That really is going to depend on your climate and what's uh, what's best. There's you can you can put you can grow anything in a greenhouse and have your irrigation source coming from your aquaponic system. Uh, really that comes down to, are you going to spend more energy in controlling your environment with your HVAC and temperature controls over your lighting controls? Or are you going to control your lights and make it easier or supplement your lights and make it easier on your, on your HVAC system? So areas on the, the coast would have a lot easier time doing uh, probably the, the greenhouses or in, in Southern interior BC or down in, in uh, California, for example, where where we are, it's pretty cloudy in the winter, so uh, there's not 
as much benefit in doing a greenhouse as you would you would think as opposed to doing led lighting and uh, really making our buildings energy efficient to capture that co2 prevent disease and and uh, pests like you mentioned as well which becomes easier and uh, and then really control the optimal growing environment for for both the fish and the and the cannabis and, and so obviously in a, in a crop let's say like uh, microgreens or salad greens which or also command a fairly good price in the market, um, their periodicity coming in and out of that uh, system would be a lot faster than what you see from your cannabis. So you'd, you'd, there'd be an economics uh, to, to achieve there as well. Yeah, yeah, a bit of a different uh, business model on that side. You're, uh, like you mentioned, the crop cycle is different. So your, your process is different, your nutrient loads are, are a bit different. So you could uh, calculate a much a probably a larger biomass from that than what what cannabis would be or fruiting plants uh and uh and uh but most fruiting plants like tomatoes or peppers they would be fairly similar to what what cannabis would be uh, yes. so yeah each each crop is uh is really its own uh its own business model but down the down the road uh what we would like to see is that we'd be able to create farms that have diversity amongst the different plants that are in there and stay true to to what our uh, what our mission is in increasing biodiversity as much as possible. Excellent. So let, let's examine some of the details of your aquaculture technology. Um, are there any proprietary systems or patented technologies that you're employing there? Uh, not uh, not right now. We're working on on some uh, areas of that that for for patents. A lot of ours is process and and essentially the ingredients. What are the inputs into into that system to create all the the life that that we need so to speak we have a uh, a life formula so so to speak um, so that that part is what we're really working on uh refining and being able to create ip around uh, as we progress really starting to understand each of the functions of the different uh, uh tropic levels of our of our ecosystem and how we can control those to a higher degree so if we want to have more nitrogen at one time or more phosphorus at a different time or, or create access more iron or more other uh, micronutrients that by controlling the different microbial life that we have going on different uh, temperatures and, and uh, environments that you can create for, for microbial life that we can actually control some of those, those uh, areas in, in our system, which obviously as we're growing different types of crops becomes very important. And sure. uh, and then, yeah, and then obviously there's genetics uh, on both fronts that uh, we look looking to uh, to really uh, focus on and being able as we uh, our our goal is to be able to have these systems be turnkey and have have other aquaponics farmers use a habitat system or or grow with a grow with a habitat system, and uh, with that we'll be able to our, our goal will be to supply them with the starting materials well and what we've developed that. Uh, really, uh, we, that we see benefits of growing in a water-based system, and so they don't have to uh, go through and and sort through the different genetics uh, for that, as well as what uh, what what bacteria microbial life will uh, will be needed for for their system. And so, when you when you sort of indicate uh, or allude to sort of this this life process. Um, are you more specifically speaking about the microbial component, which is digesting the fish waste and making it available for the plants, or is, or, or is it greater than just that? 
it, it's greater than that. That's a big part of it. That's one of the main uh, engines behind it. But uh, but you also need to understand the the basically the nutrient concoction that's coming out the other end and what what the plants are requiring and what what the environment's needed in that side and and essentially what the genetic code for your plant is requiring for for the growth. Uh, same thing on the fish side. Every every species of fish requires its own type of of environment. Uh, salmon is one of the trickier ones to do inland, so being able to prove that out in a indoor environment and uh, and show that being a profitable and sustainable operation. And then there's different areas that we want to develop and add into that that. Uh, life side which which is uh, trophic level so there's obviously different levels of organisms that all work together in an ecosystem and right now we kind of focus on th three main ones so we have our fish we have the cannabis which are the two main visual ones that we see and then we have our microbial life but there's different levels of that that we could add into it with plankton and krill or uh, mollusks that we can start to utilize more of that waste to turn uh, into uh, more essentially biomass in that system that could instead of having some of that that ends up uh, being compost that we'd be able to turn that into uh, again fish feed for for the plants instead of um, so eventually as we cycle through the goal would be that we as our inputs come in we end up selling that down the road as either cannabis or uh, salmon meat and that anything that isn't sold is then repurposed breaks back down into its basic matter and then we build it back up into into fish or cannabis. Well, and that's an important part, I think, because whenever you're raising a, a predator type species of fish, um, you know, you are robbing an ecosystem somewhere else in the world of uh, the, the, the lower, lower fish on the food chain, the bait fish, the forage fish, which are then, you know, obviously missing from that ecosystem. So if, if you can develop uh, a tank there where you've got your feed fish, which are growing to feed to the the salmon. Uh, that's that would be a, a tremendous uh, development, I think. Yeah, yeah, exactly, and that, and that's a that's a, a big focus. Bring in as little as uh, as possible, uh, and uh, and really just to the goal would be just to replace essentially the mass that you end up uh, shipping out for people to consume, and uh, and that the the residual we can we can uh, break back down and repurpose. And I, I'd imagine as well, over time, once you perfect that system, you probably also have lower input costs for your fish uh, food, uh, especially in terms of transportation from source to where you are. Um, and that'll, that'll obviously increase your bottom line, I would imagine. Mm -hmm. Especially as you start getting economies of scale. Obviously, everything's a lot more difficult when, when it's smaller and your costs are hard to offset by just bringing it in. But as we we build up or we, we create abilities to do that without having to go through the whole cost of R and D for, for other companies that will be able to implement those solutions and, and which would be a part of our habitat solution, so to speak. Fantastic. So how does the system sequester the water between the two habitats, between the fish and the plants? Yeah. So what we, we do in our aquaponics system, we call a decoupled system. So uh, traditional aquaponics, you would have the, the fish, essentially in one tank you'd have a little bit of a filter between the plants but then then the water would be going back to the fish directly and what we found is that you would never be able to, you can create compromises that though everything will live together but you'll never be able to create the 
ultimate environment for for both and and you wouldn't be able to do salmon because salmon require very clean water so what we did is we broke off that system and we so including our our uh MMBR, which is a essentially where we grow nitrifying bacteria to to uh, turn ammonia into into nitrate, and so we have this recirculating system that is continu continuously cleaning the water for uh, the salmon, stripping or treating the ammonia, stripping the CO2, and then uh, adding oxygen back in, into that system, as well as filtering out the the solids, and then all those filtered out components are the starting point to our digestion process which then we're breaking all these these elements down into a water solution a lot like a, a water treatment facility and then when the water is leaving you end up with inert solids and uh, and uh, nutrient rich water which in a lot of cases is polluted water but in our cases is uh, is the perfect water for growing or fertilizer rich water and so that's uh, that that then pumps into the the plant side as the plants are drinking it and everything that we've designed for the discharge and the size of our biomass and our fish side is uh, is designed to match the flow rate for what our our canopy space is on the other so we have a perfect balance between the two where we're not wasting wasting water just to have a nutrient base ready for it we're have just that exchange happening at the rate that the plants transpire. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's a very sophisticated balancing act. I can only imagine that that took a, some time to, uh, to, to perfect. Yeah, it absolutely, it absolutely did. And that was one of the, when we first started down the road of aquaponics, uh, we, we wanted to, to do it as our farming operation and what we found was that there was no solutions for us to actually just buy off the shelf and, and start this this uh, project so that's where the idea came in like hey well if there's not a solution for it right now let's develop that solution and create a uh, instead of everyone figuring out their own uh, DIY system so to speak that let's create a, a turnkey product that uh, can go in at a basically a thousand square foot fish system or a four ton system and and uh, build that up to being able to do 500 or 2000 ton fish systems and and the uh, the plant mass to, to go along with that so uh, yeah it's been it's been a, a, a adventure of starting in the cannabis space with also doing an agriculture technology startup at the same time because there's there's a little bit of learning on on both those fronts that that we've had to go through with uh, a lot of regulation, um, but uh, three years down the road, and we've definitely made a, a huge amount of headway in, in both those departments. You're, you're you're a brave man to tackle both of those simultaneously. Yeah, yeah, or uh, or we were naive, one of the two. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, I'll, I'll stick with the brave. Um, and then, so if if the so the, the the wastewater or the water is being filtered from the fish side to maintain the the clarity and the and the quality of the water, obviously the plants are also metabolizing. They have waste products of their own. Uh, does that then go back into that sort of uh, middle middle portion of the system where it is cl cleaned as well? I uh, yeah the the are you talking about the the solid like in the mineralization system? 
Well, no. So in, in, in my mind, and maybe I've got it wrong. Uh, so the, the fish side is decoupled from the plant side and, and right. what kind of binds it together is your central process, which is, is cleaning the water. De uh, de uh, there's a deamonification process there and the sequestration of those nutrients. And obviously once that water is treated, it goes back to the fish side. Um, the nutrient rich water goes into the, uh, into the plant side, but the plants are also metabolizing. They're also going to have some waste products uh, that they're releasing. That water then goes back into the same central unit for, for processing. How does, how does that uh, process work? No, that water is all uh, essentially as they're through the, the crop cycle, we end up, they end up consuming everything in that, that water. So the, the next crop will end up being planted. Um, in that, and that's also where there's a, a, a little bit of that that point three percent of wastage comes from some uh, wastage at the end of the crop cycle, um, and starting just to make sure that we don't have have some of the uh, non desirable nutrients that can build up in 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 water systems. So there's still some areas that we're working to to develop, but it's a very small small percentage of the overall water that we're using, and then. Uh, we have the leaf mass, the root mass, and everything that that uh, comes out of the plant system, which we're looking at. At uh, it, it's a little bit of a different system to compost that than what we have right now. So we're instead of uh, going through, I, I don't know if you're familiar with what Health Canada requires for use of cannabis uh, waste. They treat every component of it as as a really toxic and controlled uh, substance yeah. yeah so you can't just so uh yeah we right now you have to mix it with stuff and and, and compost it uh, outside but ultimately as we progress we want to end up with having all that matter end up back as food for uh, black soldier fly larvae or uh or plankton or different area different uh different uh, trophic levels, like I mentioned, um, being able to feed that back into it as opposed to just going into a compost and then to uh, soils around the farm, which is still a great use of, of the product. But in terms of our vision for how we want to keep it within the system and, and utilizing it, we want to, it's a good solution for now. We want to make sure that everything keeps uh, minimized or keeps within our system and minimize, like I mentioned, what we truck in. Yeah, and certainly if you're going to be, I mean, I believe you start with your coho fry that are a gram and a half or around that size. I mean, they're, they're small little fish. So if you've got uh, soldier fly larvae or, or red wigglers that you're able to produce from that composting material, uh, that all becomes uh, great, great food for the fish. Exactly, exactly. And a lot of that, you think we would, uh, most likely it's, there, it's, there's more nuance to, to feeding fish than being able to just throw soldier fly larvae back into it, unfortunately. Um, so a, a lot of it would end up with, with adding that as an ingredient back into a, a feed, uh, feed pellets so that uh, fish, as they go through, they usually get turned on to one type of, of feed, and it's uh, very difficult to have them cycle through multiple different, different uh, feeds, like what a, a normal environment would have with different fly hatcheries or fly hatches or uh, krill movements or any of any of uh, the the, na the other natural phenomena that happen in, in much larger and much more in the much larger biosphere of of the planet uh, we don't have that mass to be able to to do that all inside of our our operation right now so there's uh, a little bit of what can we do to to bridge that gap for now and then what different things can we develop and, and innovate so that that uh, those waste streams become smaller and smaller.
Excellent. Uh, and then are you able to partition specific macro plant nutrients, uh, you know, the NPK, and then inject these at specific ratios into your plant system? Uh, in, in some ways, we're able to balance that through different parts of our, our system. So down the road, we'll have, uh, we'll have the ability to have a lot more control on that. But what we've also found, too, is that just having a stable nutrient source actually seems to be a lot better than it is to try to in, inject multiple different types of, of nutrients or to control that, that ratio. What we found was that if we can create a stable ecosystem and that water treating it a lot of more like a living soil, where if, the, if there's a little bit of everything, the plants will uh, start to take the stuff that they want at different times of their life cycle, as opposed to force feeding them any, any given amount of nutrient. And, and uh, it's a little bit uh, against the logic of a lot of of growers and uh, we were surprised by a lot of that as well actually but uh, yeah the the results have been a higher quality product the the, the tricom development on our cannabis has been uh, far greater than anything that we've ever seen and uh, ultimately that comes from the the health of the plant uh, yeah. being a lot greater than than what we've ever been able to do in an indoor environment without everything being living yeah, I've got a lot of experience with living soils and, and cannabis and, and, you know, the once you perfect that system, the, the quality or grade of that flower surpasses anything grown by uh, mineral means. And, you know, that, that was how I got onto you guys was, was through Sean Ripley. And uh, he was he was bragging about uh, the quality of your cannabis, that it was on par with what I was able to produce. So I was uh, pretty impressed by that statement. Yeah, and he's actually, Sean's actually... Uh become very involved in our, our operation and has come on uh, and stepped in as our, our, uh, our master grower at the, at the moment right now, really bringing in this whole holistic approach and the science-based into, into that and working with Lane very closely, but adding a lot more of his, his scientific knowledge into, into what we're doing because it isn't just a regular growing methodology that we're working on right now. It's a, it's a complex ecosystem and a lot of chemical reactions going on um, whether you absolutely. want them to or not absolutely and uh, and what we found just on your point with uh, living soil living soil is a fantastic uh, opportunity and it's what we do in in our traditional terrestrial terrestrial agricultural settings but indoors that becomes very burdensome to to make those soils and transplant them and and, and very messy where we get the that that benefit of it being living water where you just get to pump that throughout the facility and it's much cleaner. It's, it's uh, mixed through the, the aerobic digestion process. And uh, yeah, we don't have to, to mess around with all that, that mass and dirt. And, and so it's, so we felt it was the best of both worlds. Absolutely. So how do you ensure then that each ecosystem receives the, it's optimal required parameters to survive? So, that's uh, that's part of the decoupled system. So for salmon, for example, you need to have colder water and it needs to be uh, for, for salmon to see their food. They, it can't be turbid. So we're able to uh, use an ozone uh, treatment to to clarify the water, but also add all the oxygen back into it. Uh, and uh, and we're able to keep the pH at where where salmon or the salmon system uh, prefers to be, which is around the seven seven uh pH. And then by going through the digestion process and decoupling that system, we're now heating up the water. The pH is, is uh, we're able to, to drop and then we're able to control 
the plant side of it in its own part of the building where we're able to control the the climate which is obviously a warmer uh, closer to tropical climate and then a warmer water than what salmon would would require and uh, they don't have the the, the turbidity requirement that salmon would have. So we're able to have these two different water qualities all stemming from the same water system, a lot of like what a, uh, how a wetlands would work. Uh, the further you move out from the wetlands, there's cleaner water and, and fresher water. And then as you go into the, the marsh or the wetlands, there's a lot more life happening in those root zones uh, and, a, and a different temperature. So that's really what we've created by splitting or decoupling these two systems. Interesting. And then, so did the salmon live in saltwater or freshwater? And uh, why were coho selected over sockeye, for instance? They live in freshwater. Uh, we, we get around the, the saltwater side of it by having a much harder water, uh, okay. which also has benefits. There's components of that that are, are uh, beneficial for plant production um, that a lot of people add in as as uh, as nutrients, but salmon, as uh, uh, you, you might know, uh, actually live between both fresh and and uh, salt water. So we're able to 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 have them in in uh, in fresh water. And then a big part of why we did coho was one we wanted to have uh, a pre more premium meat uh, to go along with like what we what we knew in terms of, of marketing and being a, a more niche operation, you want to have the highest value protein that you can produce. Uh, but on top of that, being in the shoe shop, we're right at the, the head of the sockeye, coho and, and uh, Chinook runs that are in the area. So it's a, it's a huge part of the ecosystem around here. And we wanted to, to uh, add that into our story. Uh, and and then with that being here, we felt that it was a unique opportunity for us to start to raise awareness to uh, be able to take salmon for consumption from a separate closed, uh, closed farm and allow more salmon to swim upstream to, to spawn and, and reproduce, which obviously the salmon uh, are having a, a hard time keeping up with, with uh, the habitat destruction that we're we're doing uh, in, in the area as well as uh, we, we take a, a large part of the population for consumption as it is. So those, uh, those things together uh, are, in, are really hitting the, the wild salmon stocks and moving aquaculture's a huge part of being able to, to meet those demands. If we didn't have aquaculture, we, wouldn't, we probably wouldn't be eating salmon. And, uh, and then one of the big concerns that's, that's out there is obviously with the, with the net pens and uh, people have their own opinions on that side of things. But what, the way that we felt is that we, by moving it inland indoors in a controlled environment, uh, disease free, that we'd be able to get, again, the, the best of, of both worlds. We get salmon and we get to farm it in a very sustainably uh, and responsible way. Excellent. Um, and then, so you mentioned that you're, you're using hard water. Uh, how hard is that water that you're using there for the fish? Uh, we, I don't, I should know this off the top. I know it's somewhere, it used to be around 400, uh, part of which would be on the hard, uh, you're, you're, you're talking, uh TDS there. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I think that's what that, uh, that metric would be. That is a great question for, for, for Justin. Cause I know we've, that's one of the areas that we can, um, actually, 
adjust as well to to work with the the plant side um but yeah anywhere from from 250 to, to 400 i think fish do the best at around that 400 but uh, we're able to to manipulate that a bit and then so you're adding minerals to the to that water like calcium and magnesium uh which obviously the plants are happy to take up on their side of the the equation correct yeah and it's also uh, part of what you need to do with uh part of the nitrification process is is producing a lot of hydrogen um so when you when you have those your ph inevitably is gonna creep up so you need to to buffer that and uh, you're able to do that by uh by controlling your your inputs from from the the buffering agents for that for calcium magnesium potassium Sure. Um, so could, could the aquaponics side still operate uh, without the plant side? Um, and what could you do with that waste that would be generated from that operation? Yeah, you can absolutely. I mean, both sides of the system, you're able to, to operate completely separate of the other. Uh, our technology is really what links those together in our processes. Uh, you'd you'd uh in in a in a regular inland salmon farm you're going to be having uh, a solid waste that's going to have to get uh, pumped out and composted in some regard and probably used in a terrestrial land application and uh but a lot of it ends up at your just your regular water treatment plants and and ending up in in uh, uh biosolids and treated out through uh the the different the different uh denitrifying and uh processes that are that that are out there to to treat the water to be able to discharge it back into the environment so it's a pretty heavy uh, intensive process i guess down the road if you followed the waste all the way so it is much better to be able to utilize it on site as you can imagine you're not trucking it out um, and then on the the cannabis side without those nutrients you're also going to be trucking in fertilizers and and uh the footprint doesn't just start from there it starts from the the chemical manufacturing of all those nutrients as well. So, um, by yeah. by being able to to marry these two things together, you're really minimizing a lot of of uh, the need for some of these other auxiliary components that that do have a pretty big footprint in terms of of uh, of pollution or energy. Yeah, and where I'm going with that is really, you know, could this system be used in a remote site um, in some of the native coastal communities um, that are presently using open pen systems? Uh, if this, if, if, and obviously, you know, going through the hoops to, to obtain a cannabis license is, is a, a bit of a nightmare. Uh, you know, it takes many years, and, and as, we, as we discussed, I mean, it is, it is not a simple crop to work with. And uh, as, as, many of the, as many of the LPs in Canada have seen, if your quality isn't at that top level, you're not selling your product and you're, you're not, you're not going to be in business very long. Uh, so right. I wonder if, if that, that solid waste that's coming out of there, I mean, that would be a tremendous uh, organic soil amendment. Um, there, should be, there should be a way to dewater that and create some form of a product which could be marketable uh, in terms of a, uh, an organic soil amendment. Absolutely, and that's uh, that's one of the things that we're looking at, at even doing with uh, with at, at our facility. So you can absolutely dewater it and uh, and and compost it and add it in with some of the other 
products that uh, waste that comes from it. So, so if you were just using salmon and you were processing on on location there, you would have a lot of the offal or or frames that were coming from the sand that you'd be able to put through the composter with that as well and and add it in as a soil amendment to any terrestrial farm for our scenario is going to be going into some of our bison pastures. For sure. I mean, and that's, that's some really high people in the organic world have been using fish hydrosylate um, as a, as a source of food for their plants for, for generations. Mm -hmm. No, no, exactly. So that's uh, yeah, that's one of the most straightforward uh, areas to, to use, uh, use that, that waste coming from the, the, uh, the salmon side. That's that's great. So that, that would be the, the solid waste plus the uh, plus the salmon waste can all be um, incorporated. Correct. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then what's the productive capacity of the system in terms of the mass of feed given to the fish versus uh, mass of flesh produced? Do, do we have those numbers? Yeah, it's, it's a, about a 1.1 pound for every 1.1 pound of, of feed fed to the fish, we get about one pound of salmon. So it's uh, pretty close to, to a pound per pound, but uh, not quite that efficient yet. Um, and, uh, and then from the, the plant side, so that's about a four ton, four ton system that we we're, we're in right now. And uh, we're able to run uh, about a 2000 square feet of canopy space for a fruiting plant. And so for us, that's about 400 to 600 kgs a year of dried wow. cannabis flower. Uh, so just, just to back up slightly. So when you say you have a four ton system on the fish side, is that four tons of water or four tons of fish or how are you? Four tons of fish, four tons of biomass that's brought out of there uh, every year of, of whole salmon. Okay. And, and so that, that then supports about 2000 square feet of, of, uh, of canopy. Correct. Okay. Of a, of a, of a longer life flowering plant. So right. it would go, I don't have the, the equation for going into a leafy green or a quicker plant, but, uh, yeah. yeah. Okay. And, um, by that, by... so the, the, is there a, uh, an equation between, let's say, the the number of liters uh, contained on the fish side, um, or is there a relationship between the number of liters in the system and the number of kilograms per annum of flesh that's produced? Uh, yeah, there's a calculation between there's a, a biomass that you can have in in the tanks, so how much fish you need per per gallon of water. Uh, I that's I don't have the number off the top of my head. I know we've always been, we're, uh, we're playing with, uh, with that. And obviously the more that you can, the more fish you can have in, in the system and have your filtration and, and uh, uh, animal health maintain uh, where you need it to be. Uh, you're, that's really what you're, what you're uh, capped at. Um, but yeah, right now there is a, there is a, a threshold that uh, that needs to be met for for how many fish you can have per five for us it's per 500 gallon tank so in in your four ton per annum system um how many liters of water are you presently what's your tankage volume at this point 
the tankage volume. Oh boy, the whole system would be, there's six 500 gallon tanks that are in oh, the room. Cool. And then, and then, uh, and then we have uh, our filtration system, uh, which probably equates to another thousand uh, on that. That's that. So what does that end up being? 4,000? Yeah, gallons, not, not four or five thousand gallons, give or take, recirculating all the time. And then, and then, and then, uh, what's the volume of water on the on the plant side? We it's uh, one point five liters uh, a minute is what we have going out of the system. Um, in terms, uh, that's so that, in terms of, of of uptake by the plants, or what, what's the actual volume of water that the plants have on their side? Oh, the actual volume, uh, yeah. it's about, there's about a, I mean, that really depends on the, the volume of your reservoir in there. You can have it at whatever you want, depending on if you're yeah. growing a deep water culture or an NFT. Um, really, it equates to how much nutrient flow is going to be coming from your system, which like I mentioned is about 1.5 liters a minute going through at any given, given time. And then our plant count is based off of the, the plant biomass required to transpire that much water. Uh, okay, so that the, the, on the plant side, it's really balanced in terms of what the nutritional requirements are of the plant, uh, which and, and the, the nutrient load in that in the water then determines what that flow rate is? Correct, yeah, and you can have that mass of water in the room be just a flow through the roots in a in a very low vol in a very low volume tank, or in our scenario, we do about 10 inches of of water that we're growing the roots into so the the volume builds up in the system but uh but the nutrient load is what we're what we're looking at on maintaining that level of water that's in there from that initial yes. charge of water and and have you experimented with an nft system uh what, what made you sort of go with the deep water style uh the deep water we hadn't experimented with the the nft the the from a lot of different groups that we talked to, they're very difficult to clean. So what we went with was uh, an aerated, an aerated trobbing system that the the aeration zones would actually keep the the tank clean by moving the water, kind of like a hot tub, just bubbling the water, and it's keeping that system clean as well as the lids were removable, so we're able to get in and clean everything as opposed to them going through the the tubes of a traditional NFT system. Uh, and then we're able to control the root zone temperature a lot more and growing vertically as well, which is what we do. Uh, it, we, we didn't have to worry so much about uh, pots or root zones heating up because the water is very good at, at holding whatever temperature uh, you're, you've, you've set it to. So uh, those were some of the main factors of why we went with a, a deep water culture system over, over any other types of hydroponics. And any any root rot um, problems? I mean, that's been the the bane of most hydroponic growers um, in the cannabis side for sure. I mean, you know, tomatoes, cucumbers—they're all very prone to, uh, yeah, to root absolutely. problems. How have yeah, you? Yeah, that, uh, uh, that's a very, that's pretty much a root temperature, uh, root water temperature problem. So we've faced all those and basically found that as long as we keep our water below. 20 degrees celsius then those root rot problems uh, we we don't seem to run into them 
Okay. That, yeah. And obviously in an NFT system, by the time the water from where the water is discharged at the top of the run to where it exits, I mean, it's very t difficult to control that. And, and once, Correct. once you've developed root rot in one, one portion of your system, it's uh, rampant through. Pretty much hoops. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, so is the system easily scalable then? And what do you anticipate the, the growing pains of expansion to be? Our system, everything we've designed is for it to be, to be able to expand in modules. So okay. you wouldn't just expand our system uh, to 10 times or a hundred times. You would end up, we would probably go about 10 times larger than what we have right now. And then you would start to duplicate on top of that. So then you also end up with redundancy inside your farm. So you can really scale the system to whatever size farm you want to have. And then with that, obviously when you're scaling a farm, you're, uh, end up with probably the the biggest hindrances is going to be hiring and uh, and uh, the human factor in terms of how you train and and uh, and develop. So that's really a big focus on why we're adding uh, a lot of, of focus around our processes and procedures to really dummy proof as much of the system as possible. Uh, because as you're scaling up, you want to just implement people to inspect and and run the system and not have to uh, troubleshoot on much larger, not that you won't ever get away from that fully, but it's just, those are the areas as you scale up, you just problems get scale up too. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And so do you feel that this system could be employed in a remote location um, where, you know, you may be a little bit more off grid or, you know, you're not able to jump in the car and drive to the local store to grab a part? Yeah. I mean, that's a big part of our focus of, of recycling so much water that you could really do it with a, in an area that had had uh, limited water resources and and uh, looking at places like California where water is becoming such a, a valuable resource uh, and then uh, and then power a, as well uh, getting everything as as efficient as possible in terms of where your where your uh, energy uh, controls our energy losses are within your within your system if you're moving to sunnier places you also you get one more solar panel but uh, more solar panels but you also can start using uh, greenhouses like you mentioned because um, you're getting more sun um, so if you're in a desert you'd, uh, your, your worry would be water so having a system that is recirculating 99.7 to 100 percent of that water is going to become very key to to uh, producing uh, sustainably. So there's, depending on where you're at, there's different problems and we're looking at uh, really developing this system to be able to operate in a variety of different areas. One of our uh, internal uh, challenges, so to speak, is when we're looking at uh, developing different parts of the system or what we want to do next is if we ever had a system on Mars, what would that, what would, what would we be able to bring in there and what could we reuse and how could we make it so that it could operate in, in that type of of vacuum, which is obviously very, very difficult and, and uh, uh, a lofty goal, but it allows you, it allows you to set that, that, uh, that standard of, of thinking with those parameters. Yeah. Excellent. And, and then what about disease on the fish side? I mean, that's been one of the big issues with uh, the open net pens. Um, we just, do we just avoid uh, oh, many of those diseases simply because you're contained and filtered and, and you're not subject to the rest of the environment? Yeah, exactly. By being in an indoor environment, we get to control all the, 
the disease or parasite issues that uh, that you'd normally see in in uh, in outdoor environments. So uh, that alone is a huge reason, just from the bottom line of of fish farming to to move inland. Yes, I mean you've got uh, obviously there's no source of uh, lice, no source of virus, no source of fungus. Uh, any bacterial type infections, I would imagine, are tr are treated by your your system. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and unless you bring it in, which is why uh, when you have a have a building around your system, you can control your biosecurity measures a lot more strictly. Uh, and uh, we already do that with the cannabis side of things as well. So um, both sides are very biosecure. Well, that, yeah, that, that's uh, and that obviously between uh, potential losses and the re remediation measures, whether it's drugs or chemicals, if you don't have to s uh, spend on those items, it's more more money in the bottom line. Exactly, exactly. You don't have to to treat anything, and and uh, that's really where we're at being we're being uh, organic, organically certified. Uh, the you don't really want to have to go through a bunch of challenges to get that as well, and with our system by limiting all of those factors that become such challenges to, to other companies to be able to be certified organic. Uh, we're able to do that almost by default, which is uh, um, also is a exciting process. And, and as we progress as a society, we should <clears throat> actually try to uh, look at food production and agriculture as, uh, as that should be our baseline, not just a separate certification. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and then what is the future of aquaponics technology? Yeah, I think we've, I mean, we've touched on a few different scenarios, especially for, for, uh, for us, but uh, I think getting to as much of a closed ecosystem uh, set up as possible is, uh, is where we're at. And then obviously being able to start seeing, more of these systems augment into farms across uh, across Canada, across the world, uh, where, where food production and, and resources are becoming a lot more scarce, uh, that, that implementing uh, these types of farms that we can prove to be profitable and, and sustainable uh, will allow uh, the, the landholders of the, these properties as well to look at uh, taking the pressure off of them to be able to farm those, those properties sustainably and, and, and responsibly as well, and maybe add, add uh, a variety of different crops back into their, their species, not be forced to uh, have to just grow one type of, of grain or, or monocrop, really be able to diversify their farms again. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, if, if we could uh, go back in time, uh, Rudy, and, and, and chat with yourself as a young man, 16 to 18 years old, uh, what advice would you have for that young, that young fellow? Oh boy, that's a good question. Uh, I mean, I think me back then, I was very focused on, on an athletic career. So I think that, uh, I would just, uh, reassure myself that the, the path that, that you're on with the committing to something and working hard towards, towards a goal is the right mentality to, to build up at a young age because that comes in in uh, very crucial, especially when you're starting a business. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, well said. And uh, what do you see as the major threats to the average North American's way of life? <laughs> oh boy, 2020. <laughs> 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 
Yeah. Well, but, uh, yes. <laughs> apart, apart from our uh, present, uh, uh, craziness that's going on. I mean, is, is it is it you know the the fact that we've moved so far towards an industrialized uh, agricultural model and, and moving away from that sustainability, uh, climate change, or you know where 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 do we where, where do you see that as the, that major threat? I mean, I think yeah, I think the big threat is uh, is going to be with with our soils and 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 really understanding what our food systems are based on. I mean, food is where we get our own fuel from and so whatever we're putting in our gas tank is really indicates the health of of our society and uh, I think that we've really lost touch with uh, with how we produce food or where food comes from and and I think there's a lot of hope actually in the last little bit people are really starting to engage and, and realize that and so, so I think there's been a lot of of traction in the different initiatives to to uh regenerative agriculture and, and, and different uh, ways of, of uh, getting, I guess, closer to where your food's coming from and buying more locally and, and uh, buying more responsibly raised protein and not trying to, to try not to support larger feedlot operations or monocrop operations. I think that there's, there is a lot of education that's going. So I'm pretty, I'm very hopeful in, in that side. And then, and then obviously, technologies like ours that are coming online that look to address some of those issues. So um, I think that it's both a huge opportunity, but also as you highlighted a, a, a threat that if we don't address it, uh, we could end up having uh, some pretty devastating ecological collapses around, around the planet. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so Rudy, how can listeners learn more about your company Habitat? Uh, where can they buy your salmon? And uh, where is your cannabis flower available for purchase? We, uh, we have our website. It's habitat.life. And uh, we also have a pretty good YouTube video online. Uh, that's a, a, an online tour through our facility that was filmed by a, a group called Sessions. I think there's a link on our website as well. Uh, our salmon, we're selling it locally at the Fisherman's Wharf in, in Kamloops and in Kelowna, and then there's a few restaurants around. One of the main ones by us is the Quiet Resort. is uh, is looking to put our salmon on the the menu for their winter menu here. So that'll be a a good place to 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 try that out if you're ever in the Shushwap area. And uh, and then the cannabis is a little more widely sold than than the the salmon right now. And it's uh, we're in uh, BC, Alberta. Uh, Saskatchewan and Manitoba, and then also can be bought online medically through Shelter Market. Okay, so you're you're actually both uh, medical and rec then. Uh, correct. Yeah, they're sold on okay. on both platforms. Okay. And if someone goes to the dispensary, do they ask for the Shelter product or do they ask for the Habitat product? No, ask for for Habitat and the two products that we have are cake and caviar okay so we have a sweet smelling flower as well as a, a savory uh smelling flower which would be the caviar the sweeter one being the cake what? excellent all right sir well that's been uh, it's been great i um we'll get this off this uh to uh, uh dr morton see what her thoughts are and um maybe we can start to proliferate this technology across the coast and uh uh, start to expand your technology and your 
and uh, re reduce the harm that some of these uh, other uh, farming methodologies are causing. Absolutely. Anything we can do to, to educate and get people learning more about, uh, about food productions or what different types of production methodologies are out there, we're, we're always game to have those conversations. All right. Fantastic. All right, sir. Well, that's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for your time today and uh, we'll be in touch. Great. Thank you. Excellent, sir. Have a great afternoon. Cheers. Bye-bye.